your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14, please. Now let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for our Saviour. We thank you for his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. We thank you for all that means for us as believers. We thank you, Father God, that not only did he die to be our Saviour, but he died to be our Lord. And we do pray that, Lord, you'd help us to honour him and live for him and be what we need to be for your glory. We do pray that, Lord, as we now once again open your word, this precious book that you gave to us, we pray that, Lord, your word would be a blessing to our hearts. We know that, Father, you gave us your word to be an instruction to us. We know you gave it to us to enable us to understand who you are and what your will is for us. And we do pray that you'd bless our time in your word now this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd guide me. Uh, allow me, Father God, to uh, have clarity and be able to speak with clarity. And may, uh, Lord, we receive a blessing from your word today that we might leave this place having known we've been in your presence, having known that, Lord, we've been spoken to by your word. Meet us now, Father God, as we come to meet you around your word. And minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying, of course, Romans chapter 14 over the few week, last few weeks. And we've seen that in Romans chapter 14 that uh, God's word is dealing with the subject of Christian liberty and uh, specifically dealing with the conflict that existed between those believers who were strong in the faith and those who were weak. And this conflict over Christian liberty surfaced in the church here at Rome in two primary areas of uh, conflict within the church. In the decision of whether to eat meat or not to eat meat or how to observe certain special days. And the conflict in the church at Rome was threatening to divide the church to cause major disunity within the church. And the danger was the divisive arguments that were erupting over these non-essentials were going to affect the work of the Lord in the church at Rome. So in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, what we have for us here is some words of warning and some words of encouragement. Words of warning and encouragement both to the weak group and to the strong group. And then in Romans chapter 10, uh, 14, verses 10 through 12, we have the conclusion uh, uh, in, of a sort in the discussion that is preceded in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, particularly verses 6 through 9, which we saw in the last service. In Romans chapter 6, 14, verses 6 through 9, Paul argues that because Jesus Christ is both Lord of the living and the dead, we should receive one another. That the Jesus Christ is Lord of both groups, those who are weak and those who are strong, those who don't eat meat but eat vegetables, and those who do eat meat, those who observe special days, those who don't observe special days, both groups of people. The overarching principle that governs all of that is that Jesus Christ is Lord of both the living and the dead. 
And as far as you and I as believers go, when it comes to the non-essentials, to those things that don't matter in the Christian life, then you and I are to employ the principle that he is Lord of both the living and the dead. He's Lord of the weak, he's Lord of the strong, and we should therefore allow them to be answerable to the Lord, not to us. Because of that, we should receive one another. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, Paul carries his argument one step further. And here he explained how believers could disagree on non-essentials and still maintain unity within the church. As we've said in Romans chapter 14, he gives four reasons as to why we should receive one another. We have seen that we should receive one another because firstly, God has received us. Secondly, because Jesus Christ is Lord. Sorry, secondly, because God has sustained his own. Thirdly, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And now we come to the fourth reason, and that is introduced by a question. He asks in the light of all that I've been saying, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand, we shall stand all. Oh, sorry, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There in verse 10. The fourth reason for receiving one another is because Jesus Christ is judge. Jesus Christ is judge. And Paul has two main points to his argument here in verses 10 through 12. Firstly, his first point is, why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? And his second point is, for we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now it's worth noting here in these verses, these three verses, Romans 14, 10 through 12, that the apostle introduces two new elements to the discussion. Two elements that he's not mentioned before, two new elements that he introduces to the discussion about weak and the strong. And the first of those new elements is that we're all members of the same family. Because he says in verse 10, he says this, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? He's not used the term brother before in this chapter. He's not referred to us as brethren. He's not referred to as brothers. He's not referred to us in that context at all in this chapter. In fact, he simply said back in verse 1, he says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And then he says in verse 3, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God receiveth, uh, received him. And so he's not mentioned this matter of brothers. He's talked about the weak. He's talked about the strong. He's talked about what the weak cannot do and what the strong can do. But he's never referred to the believers in Rome. He's never referred to you and I in this chapter as brethren, as brothers. And what that tells us is that in very general terms, how we are to behave with respect to one another, rather he's told us in very general terms how we are to respect and behave towards one another in the church. But now what we have revealed to us is that we're reminded that we're not just members of the church, but incidentally, we're brothers. We're brethren. 
We're part of the same family. We're the children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not just some group of people meeting together. We are a group of people who are called out by the Lord to form this body called the church, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And since we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore of the same family, he asks this question in verse 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Though we may differ in our opinion, and though we may have a difference of opinion with regard to our judgment of things, what we can and cannot do, and though you and I may differ over some issues, as illustrated back in verse 5, where it says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, you and I may well disagree on some things. There are some things that I may be able to do with a clear conscience before God and do it under the law and certain things that you can, maybe you couldn't do that I could do. Or certain things that you don't do that I can do and certain things that you do that I can't do. The point is we're all of the same family. We will have disagreements. But what, he, what really matters, what this passage really is concerned about is the thing that is much more important than our opinions about these matters is our understanding of our relationship to one another. How do we view each other? That's what matters. How do we see each other within the body of Christ? How do we view each other as believers? The people who we disagree with, we need to remember, are not the enemy. We need to remember we're not to regard them as enemies. They're not our enemy. They're our brothers and sisters. They're not members of a rival faction within the body of Christ. You and I need to remember that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we ought to regard each other that way. We're a family. And when it comes to these matters of non-essentials, these matters that don't these things that don't matter as far as the Christian faith goes, you and I ought to treat each other like brothers and sisters, not like the enemy. The church should not be divided over matters that don't matter. The principle that's been laid down here in Romans chapter 14 is though the members of the family may disagree over things that are non-essential, the family should never be divided over those things. Just like in any family. You can have a difference of opinion as a brother and a sister in a family. You know, you, you can have a difference of opinion about which football team you support. You can have a difference of opinion about what food you like. You can have a difference of opinion about what chair you like to sit in. You can have difference of opinion, but you're still family. And therefore you get along with each other. You don't take a bit of tape, well, you shouldn't do, you don't take a bit of tape and put it down the middle of the, the house and say, okay, this part's where I stand. My sister or my brother, they're on that part. They're, I don't agree with them. They eat different foods to me. They sit at different places to me. They like different sports to me. Therefore, I'm never going to be with them. I'm going to regard them as a rival faction, and we have two factions. There's, here's my faction, and there's their faction. Well, we think it's strange if we walked into somebody's home and found the house divided that way, wouldn't we, between brother and sister? 
Brothers and sisters squabble. Brothers and sisters have disagreements. Brothers and sisters might have uh, loud discussions about their disagreements, but they're still brothers and sisters. And that's the point here. You and I are brethren. We may disagree with each other. We may be things that you and I cannot see eye to eye on. When it comes to these non-essentials, these things that don't matter, he's not talking about doctrine here. He's not talking about God's moral law here. He's not talking about things that are black and white. You and I cannot have a debate or an argument over whether it's right to kill or not because God's word says thou shalt not kill. There is no place for debate on that. That's black and white. But on the things that don't matter, the non-essentials, you and I can have disagreements. You and I can even have discussions. But we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. So by introducing this term brother here in Romans 14.10, what I was seeking to do is to show you and I exactly how we should be facing these issues as a family. And then what happens is in, verses, in verse 10, what he does next is he applies the principle to both sides of the argument, to the weak and to the strong. How does it look? What does it look like? When you apply this principle that we're part of the same family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, how does it look in relation to the weak and the strong? So he first addresses the weaker brother in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? He asked the weaker believer, why are you judging your brother? He mentions the same thing back in verse 3. He says, let not him that eateth despise him that is not, and let not... Him which eateth not, judge him that eateth. So the weaker brother is the one who judges the one that eats. What's been said here is this, that to the Jewish converts, why do you attempt to put on trial the Gentile believer as if he has violated the law of God? I mean, that's the context here with regard to foods and regard to diet and days. Okay, the Jewish believers... They could not eat meat offered to idols because it wasn't kosher. And they observed certain days, certain Sabbaths, certain holy days, certain moons, etc. were part of their life. They did those things. They didn't want the Lord and for them not to do them, they found it hard to abandon those things because it was part of their whole life for obeying and serving and bringing glory to the Lord. The Gentile believers on the other hand had no struggle eating meat offered to idols. They did not see any day as being anything other than every day being special. So there was this debate going on between the two. And so the, the Apostle Paul here asked the question, has uh, uh, to the Jewish believer, the Jewish convert, why do you attempt to put on trial the Gentile believer? As if he's violated the law of God. Because in these non-essential things, and these things that don't matter, he has not broken the law. There's no law that says he could not eat this meat. There's no law that said he, could, he didn't have to, that he has to keep these days. To judge here has the force of condemn. And so when it says in verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? The idea is why dost thou condemn thy brother? You've took him to law and you've found him guilty and you want him put to death, basically. One commentator said the Jew would deem it too serious a matter for contempt 
he would regard as a violation of the law of God and would be likely to assume the right of judging his brother and pronouncing him guilty. But the point of Romans 14, as we've seen over the weeks and even this morning, uh, Romans 14, the point is that in non-essential things, in those things that don't matter, no one has the right to condemn another believer. We may disagree, but we have no right to condemn. We're all subjects of the Lord. We're all servants of the Lord. He is the Lord of both the living and the dead. He is both the Lord of the weak and the strong. He is our Lord. And as we're going to see, we're all one day going to stand before the same judgment seat. So what right have we got to sit in judgment of others? So we're going to see the only person who really has a right to judge is the Lord. It's not the responsibility of those who are weak in this situation, who struggle with certain things, to judge the stronger believer because they can do certain things. This is such an important point that it must be fixed in our minds. And it's so important we know it because Paul takes the whole of chapter 14, part of chapter 15, to deal with it for the church at Rome. It's repeated in 1 Corinthians for the church at Corinth. This is such an important matter. Our understanding of this is so vital for unity. If we're going to receive one another, if we're going to treat each other and brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to understand this. In the non-essentials of the Christian faith, the weaker brethren is reminded that they are to receive one another as brethren. Now, having addressed the weaker brother, he then turns to address the strong believer in verse 10. He goes on to say, And why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? The, the phrasing there means this Why are you despising your brother? The Jewish believer wanted to condemn the Gentile believer. The Gentile believer despised the Jew, made fun of the Jew. Because the Jew couldn't eat certain things and couldn't and had to celebrate certain days. In fact, what the Word of God is saying here is, why do you, who are stronger in the understanding of the faith, despise your brother who is weaker in the faith? Why do you look down your nose at them? Why do you despise them? Why do you... Mock them. Why do you look at them and ridicule them? Why do you do that? They're serving the Lord in the best way they know how. They're serving their Lord. They're surrendering their life to the Lord. They're eating, they're not eating meat, but eating vegetables and they're keeping these days because they want to bring glory to God. What right have you got to despise them? Somebody said, these words are directed to the stronger believer who believed he might eat all things and esteemed every day alike, being fully persuaded that the distinction of meats and of days was now ceased. And such were apt to be puffed up with their superior knowledge and faith and were ready to treat with an air of contempt those that were weak, showing little or no regard to their peace and edification 
though they stood in the same relation to each other. What he basically says to both the weak and the strong is this, you are both guilty. You're both guilty. Effectively what he's saying is your behavior is not that of a brotherly spirit. Your behavior is, that not, is not that of brethren. Your behavior is not that of family. You're acting like the other one is the enemy. When we're family. And so don't treat each other this way, he says. Because you're family. commentator says this he essentially says because you are brethren and by faith you belong to the same family then you have one master and therefore you should receive one another in the non-essentials in those things that don't matter your family it's not brotherly to either judge or despise one another the true characteristic of brotherhood or the true characteristic of family is that we love one another. You know, in a family, we can disagree and still love each other. Can have genuine discussion and still love one another. And in the Christian family, it's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to, in these non-essentials, these things that don't matter, you and I ought to be able to have disagreements and maybe even have discussion about the disagreements, but still, at the end of the day, love each other, not judge, not despise, but love. That you and I express a genuine concern one for another. That you and I genuinely want to help one another. That's the spirit in which we should approach these problems, these divisions, these difference of opinion. There will be differences in many areas when it comes to the non-essential life. It's a fact. We're not all going to agree. It's a rarity to find anyone who agrees on everything. There's always some area where we don't agree, some area where we disagree, and, and if it's not a doctrinal issue, if it's not to do with black and white word of God, then we have every right to disagree. I mean, if the Bible says this, then you and I have to agree that that's truth, because he's Lord. And so God's word declares it to be true. Whatever you and I think is irrelevant, it's true. If God says it, that settles it doesn't matter whether you and I believe it or not, by the way. If God said it, that settles it. That's the, the fact. And you and I have no place to be debating it. If it's black and white, it's black and white. There is no discussion. But there are plenty of things in life that the Word of God does not cover, doesn't talk about, doesn't mention. And yet, you know, over the years, what we've done as Christians is we've elevated things that are not mentioned in the Word of God to places of biblical conviction. And we sit in judgment of those people because 
By conviction, they shouldn't be doing it. Our conviction is that it's wrong and therefore it's biblical conviction and we judge them. And yet if you take it back to the Bible, there's nothing in the Word of God that says that what they're doing is wrong. You and I may struggle with it. You and I may think it's the dumbest thing to do. We may not even understand why any believer could do it. But if it's not in the Word of God, then who are we to judge? That's the point here. We will have disagreements. We will have debates. If we were to today take time to go around the room and start talking about things we talk about, we'd find that there'd be differences of opinion on certain things. But we're brethren. Therefore, we accept one another irrespective of the difference. There will be differences. But how we deal with those differences is what matters. So Romans 10.14 says that we're to handle these subjects, especially these matters of non-essential indifferences, in the realisation that we're brethren together. You and I should not waste any time attempting to prove that we are right and they are wrong. We've got more important things to worry about. You know, sometimes believers spend an awful lot of time talking about things that don't matter and neglect the things that do matter. There's a world out there that's dying without Christ. There's a world out there that does not know the Saviour. And if Jesus Christ came today, there are many who would miss out on going to heaven. Many have not heard that Jesus Christ died for them, that he loved them so much that he went to the cross of Calvary and he shed his precious blood that they might be saved. And yet we as believers are squabbling over things that don't matter while souls are dying and on their way to hell when we should be out there telling them about the Saviour. I think the devil loves to get us distracted at times talking about things that don't matter and neglecting the very things that do. So the first new element introduced into these verses, these three verses, is that we're brethren, that we're all members of the same family. But the discussion doesn't end there because it kind of gets ratcheted up a notch. And so the second main point, the second new element that's introduced comes at the end of verse 10 where we read, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now here we are reminded that both the weak and the strong believer must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will not judge each other. We will all, weak and strong, be judged by the Lord. Now remember, he has just established in verses 7 and 8 that he is Lord. For none of us liveth to himself, and none of us dieth to himself. For whether we live or whether we die, uh, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. He is our Lord. And now 
The Word of God takes us from that principle that Jesus Christ is Lord of the living and the dead, and he applies to this matter of the weak and the strong believer and says that because he is Lord, all of us are going to stand before him in judgment. No matter whether you're weak or strong, we'll all stand before the Lord. He will judge us. And so we need to establish that we cannot live to ourselves. That we really can't do what we want. We have to do what the Lord wants. We have to live unto the Lord. And now the word of God tells us, here is another all-important principle. We remember that as Lord, he is also judge. What Paul is doing here is he's drawing a further conclusion out of his teaching on the Lordship of Christ. And the conclusion is this that not one of us are in a position to judge anybody else because Christ and Christ alone is judge. Who's to say that this believer who is doing or not doing this to the glory of God is right or wrong? Only the Lord is their judge. He is Lord and he is judge And no one is a position to judge except the Lord. See, every one of us, all of us who are born again believers, whether we're weak or strong, whether we have a strong conscience or a weak conscience, will have a works judged of the Lord. Now, we must understand that this has got nothing to do with our salvation. It's got nothing to do with our sin. Because, you know, Christ paid for our sin at Calvary. And when you and I received him by faith, we received forgiveness. And our sins have been judged. They've been judged in Christ. And they've been cast as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the deepest sea. And when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged for our sins. That was Calvary. They're finished. Past, present, future sins, they're all dealt with at Calvary. You and I will not be judged for our sin. I don't know about you, but that's a blessed truth. That when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not going to give an account for my sin. That was taken care of at Calvary. And that means our sin cannot be held against us. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So this has got nothing to do with our salvation. That was by faith. In Jesus Christ, the day that we trusted him as our saviour, we were forgiven. And this has got nothing to do with our sin, because that was dealt with at Calvary. So what we must understand here is that even though we will not be judged for our sins, you and I will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You and I as believers will indeed stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says this, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ. 
That is every one of us. Whether we're weak or strong, we must all be tried alike at the same tribunal. Every one of us will give account to God for our conduct. Every one of us will give account for God for those non-essential things, those things that don't matter. We'll give account to God for those things. Not our fellow man, but Christ. We're going to give account for what we have done with our lives. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 spells it out for us clearly what we'll be judged for. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So here we are. <coughs> Paul compares our ministries with the building of a temple. Compares our lives to the building of a temple. Christ is the master builder, but you and I are doing some building. And if we build with cheap materials, wood, hay, stubble, then when they set fire to in the judgment day, they'll be burned up and you and I will stand there with no reward for what we have done. But if we build with lasting materials, gold, silver and precious stone, our work will last. If our work's past the test of fire, then you and I will receive a reward. If they're burned up, we'll lose our reward, but we'll be saved, yet those though by fire. In other words, we can't lose our salvation because this is not a judgment of our sin. Remember that. This is a judgment of our conduct as believers. And part of that conduct is what he's talking about in Romans 14. How do we behave ourselves as brethren, as part of the family of God towards one another? And how do we act? Are we living for the Lord is the Lordship of Christ priority in our lives in all that we do. Remember, he is the Lord of the living and the dead. How are we living our lives? That's what matters. And that's why Romans 14.10 reminds us that we can't avoid the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 states the same truth. It says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14.10 reminds the judgment day is coming. And as one commentator said, he said this, Stop worrying about your brother. You have enough to answer for before the Lord. Or to put it another way, you have enough to worry about. 
why, why, why do we spend so much time worrying about our brothers and sisters in Christ and the non-essentials when you and I have an awful lot to worry about? He's Lord. And one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works are going to be judged. Our focus ought to be on the Lord. Our focus ought to be on that judgment day that's coming, not upon the other believer. Listen, they're going to give account to God for what they do and we're going to give account to God for what we do. Therefore, get your focus gaze where it ought to be on the Lord and say, am I doing this for the Lord? Is he indeed Lord of my life? Can I do this for the Lord? Am I not eating unto the Lord? Am I eating unto the Lord? Am I keeping certain days unto the Lord? Am I not keeping days unto the Lord? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it for the Lord? Especially in these non-essential things that don't matter. The word judgment seat here in verse 10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, is the Greek word bema, bema seat which means a place where the judges stood in the uh, Athenian Games, the Olympic Games, any athletic game, the judge would sit at the beamer seat. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 gives a vivid picture of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. So know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. First Corinthians reveals to us this race that's been run. And only those who run the race according to the rules receives the prize. One commentator said the beamer seat is equivalent to the judge's seat at the Olympic Games. And for each game, the winners come before the judge's seat to receive crowns for first, second, and third places. Likewise, the Christian's work will be tested by fire and he'll be rewarded for those which remain. The judgment seat of Christ is only concerned with the Christian's rewards and position in the kingdom, not his salvation. You and I are going to stand before this judgment seat and God's going to take our works and he's going to set fire to them and what's left is what is our reward. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. You and I are going to give account for what we've done in this body for him personally. We're all answerable to the Lord. And the point is this, the point that Romans chapter 14 verse 10 is making is this, why do any of us take it upon ourselves to do the Lord's job? That is, judge one another. That's the Lord's job. That's his responsibility. That's what he does. He's the judge, not me, not you. In these non-essential areas, these things that don't matter, he is judge. Not me, not you. And know this, our Lord is quite capable of judging without our help. 
He doesn't need my assistance. He doesn't need your assistance. God knows the heart, doesn't he? He knows the believer who is struggling to do a certain thing and is not doing it for the glory of the Lord. The Lord knows that believer's heart. He knows that believer is doing it to the Lord. He also knows the heart of the strong believer who is doing things and has no conscience, in, uh, his conscience is not affected by doing it and he's doing it, he's not doing it or doing it unto the Lord and the Lord knows that heart. He will judge. He doesn't need our help. Martin Lloyd Jones said, it is the carnal response of those whose convictions differ to ours but when we do, we take upon ourselves to judge. We take on a responsibility that does not belong to us. Now Romans chapter 14 verse 11 is a quote from Isaiah 45, 23 and it says this, For it is written, that's in Isaiah 45, 23, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And the reason why it's quoted here is it's to stress the point that there is a judgment day coming for the believer. Quotes the Old Testament reference to this day that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There is a judgment day coming believers. And the phrase, as I live, saith the Lord, is a form of an oath. An oath that often referred to in the Old Testament was an oath from the Lord. The Lord was swearing an oath. This fact is absolutely true. You can put it this way, as, as one commentator described it, he said this, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, by his own life, signifying that what he was about to say would as surely come to pass as that he lived. As surely as God lives, and he does, what he's about to say will come to pass. The only reason what's about to be said won't come to pass is because God's not living. And since God is living for eternity, what is about to be said is absolute. This will take place. God swore it. And that which will surely come to pass is this. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That's what will happen. It's a guaranteed fact that every one of us will bow the knee and every one of us will confess to God. This emphasizes you and I the fact that you and I will all appear before God in humility. Every knee shall bow. We will humbly bow before our Lord. When you and I see our Saviour face to face and you and I stand before him at the judgment seat, I guarantee you we're not going to care what anybody else did. We won't be worried about some other person. As we stand there seeing our works piled up before us, the only thing we're going to be thinking about is what's going to be left. We won't care about anybody else. 
And then every tongue shall confess, emphasize the fact that everyone in that day shall acknowledge what he's already said is true, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether we acknowledge now or not, you and I in that day will. We will bow before him and will confess that he is Lord and he has a right to judge. It's by allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord of our lives here, this side of glory. And by faithfully obeying him as our Lord, that you and I prepare ourselves for that day when we will bow our knee and confess that he is Lord. So that we can do it with joy and not sorrow. Acknowledge him as Lord now. Live for him as Lord now. Respect each other as brethren now. And in that day we'll be able to stand and bow the knee and acknowledge him as Lord with joy. Romans 14.12 goes on to say this, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. God's word goes on to explain to us that we do not have to give account for anybody else but ourselves. We'll all have to give account. We'll all have to stand in judgment before Christ for all that we've said and all that we've done, but we won't have to give account for anybody else. And therefore, as one commentator said, you don't have a moment to waste you have not a second to expend in judging your brother. Listen, if we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and if we're all going to bow the knee, and we're all going to give account to him, and we're all going to declare him as Lord, why waste your time squabbling over things that don't matter when something greater is more important? He is Lord, he is judge, and we will be judged. We need to expend our energy and take time making sure that our account with God is all it ought to be and not worry about somebody else. Not to waste our time judging others. Not to waste our time criticizing others. Not to waste our time even debating about things that don't matter. There's more important things. So the point that's been made is this, that when it comes to questionable matters in the Christian life, we ought to be able to disagree without being disagreeable because we're all members of the same family and what matters at the end of the day is that he is Lord and that we do what we do for the glory of God so that when we stand before the judgments, we will bow the knee and we'll confess him as Lord with joy, not sorrow. The truth is that when we allow Jesus Christ to be Lord, then you and I will allow him to deal with us as his servants, as he wishes. And then unity will reign, not disunity in the Lord's work. Somebody said, I have learned that God blesses people I disagree with. I have learned that God blesses people I disagree with. 
Let's remember that in the non-essential of the Christian faith, I'm not your judge and you're not my judge. For every man and every woman should give account of themselves unto God. Romans 14, 10 through 12, form Paul's conclusion to this section. He's going to go on in verse 13 and said, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Okay, he's going to go on and kind of, it's like Paul comes to a crescendo, he concludes his thought and then he takes up thought again. Okay, but he's just formed his conclusion to what he was talking about in verses 1 through 9. It's Paul's final words with regard to the spirit in which we approach the whole question of non-essentials. The things that don't matter. And the challenge for you and I is this, that we receive one another. That we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And we allow the judging, or rather we leave the judging to him. Because he doesn't need our help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for the challenge here, Father God, to behave like family, to acknowledge that Christ is Lord and judge and worry about our own lives and our own relationship with you and not get caught up on the non-essentials, the things that don't matter and get distracted by them so that we might be faithful in serving you as our Lord, that we might one day bow the knee and confess that you are Lord with joy and not sorrow. Bless now we pray as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.